Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ice the Kicker. Glenn Eagers alongside, as always, Matt Ferrara. The regular season of the 2020 NFL season is over, and it ended with a world of controversy surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles and what they did in terms of tanking, putting in Nate Sudfeld with, at the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Giants were pissed. A lot of people within the NFL were really upset about Doug Peterson and the Philly organization doing what they did. So we're just going to get right into it because there's a lot to digest in terms of what happened and the ripple effect around the NFL. I think as a Giants fan, I would just want to make it apparent that the Giants, in terms of their right to complain about this, they don't really have one because they went 6-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. I think... I think it's important to say that because if the Giants won one extra game, if Evan Ingram made that catch down the sideline in Philly a couple months ago, we're not even, the, the Giants aren't even watching that game because they don't care because they're already in the playoffs. So when I saw on, tw- on Twitter during the game when this was all going down, the Giants players complaining on Twitter that this was wrong and they were getting cheated and they were getting screwed or fucked over, however you want to say it, that's just that's just – that's just incorrect because you made your bed and you have to lay in it. I told you, Matt, last week in terms of the Dolphins playoff chances, in terms of control, you want to control your own destiny and you want to take care of business then. Mm. When the Giants beat the Seahawks to uh, with Colt McCoy under center and they took sole possession of first place, they had control of their own destiny. And what they ended up doing was losing three straight and vanquishing that to Washington where they had the right to play a depleted Eagles team to have to control their destiny win the division. So the Giants don't have any kick coming to them. Nobody's going to feel bad for them. I, as a Giants fan, don't feel bad for them. The Giants players shouldn't feel Mm -hmm. bad for themselves because they did it. And of course, obviously, Philadelphia is not going to feel bad for New York. That's just not how it works in all of life, Mm -hmm. let alone just football. On the other side, in my opinion, what Doug Peterson did was stupid. It was wrong, and it just ruins the integrity of the sport. I, I've seen a lot of comparisons from Eagles fans trying to justify this decision based on, well, this happens all the time in football. We saw it this week with a lot of playoff teams wrestling their guys because they don't want to get hurt. The difference there is they have a game next week. The, the Eagles' next game is not for another eight months. That's one. Another thing they'll say is that, oh, the teams tank the entire season to get the number one pick. What's the difference between an entire season of tanking and just a one quarter? Mm. Well, the difference is those teams that tank for the entire season still try to win the football game, right? The Jets tanked this year. When Sam Darnold was healthy, he still played and he still tried to win. They didn't just bring some guy off the street to play quarterback. They still had their first round quarterback go in and play every single day. When the Browns were tanking to get Mayfield, they were still trying to win football game. The diff- the only thing was they didn't really have talent. So the Eagles have this talent mm-hmm. in Jalen Hurts. And even though he wasn't playing particularly well, he was still driving the ball down the field. He was still scoring touchdowns. He had two rushing touchdowns. And he still had the Eagles within striking distance. And if Doug Peterson wasn't a moron and just kicked the field goal, they go into the fourth quarter tied. So... Mm-hmm. So the fact that they pulled Jalen Hurts for a guy in Nate Sudfeld that hasn't played in three years 
and belongs nowhere near an NFL roster. And then going in the post-game interview and saying that you were coaching to win the game, that's garbage. And you're a liar. And you're taking everybody mm-hmm. you're talking to as fools and as morons. So what the Eagles did was obviously wrong. I know the Eagles fans are going to defend it, but it, it, it's just it's just the wrong thing. It was just the wrong thing to do. There's better ways to handle it. If you wanted to see snaps from Sudfeld in a meaningless game, then after the game last week, in week 16, you should have said in your post-game press conference that Sudfeld was going to start, and that was it. So NBC wasn't going to take that mm-hmm. game, and they just they completely fleeced everybody involved in the NFL from the opponents to the TV networks to the league to the fans. And if I'm a Philadelphia Eagle player who is putting my health on the line for the entire season, not just the risk of going out into the NFL field and risking injury, but also what is surrounding society today with COVID every single week, getting tested every single day. And my head coach is just going to pull it, pull the plug in the fourth quarter of the last game to lose and tank. When a lot of these people on the Eagles roster won't even be on the team next year to benefit from the three spot jump in the draft, they're going to take. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I think just the way Peterson handled it and, and even what he said just added too much fuel to the fire. It, it seemed like it was almost like a senior day back in high school. And because in his press conference, he's like, oh, well, he's been here a while. We wanted to get him some reps like like he's been here a while like that, that that if that was the case, then you would stick with Carson Wentz. So I didn't really understand his his reasoning. I I I get what he was trying to do. I guess you could say like he wanted to see him in a game, but just the whole situation. And then it's against a, uh, an NFC East opponent. And there's teams uh, kind of, I guess, even there's players. I'll put it this way. Their livelihoods are, are at stake. I think he's very lucky that the only really big change was that quarterback. Because if he would have said, say he would have kept Hurts in, but took out, say, his whole starting line, that's when you start saying like he's endangering his players. And that's where you're like, holy crap, like this is like dead wrong. So I think he he is flirting on the line of like there needs to be like an investigation or he needs to be fired with him kind of just making a bonehead move. And obviously it was at the expense of the giant season essentially. And that, that not, uh, not kicking the field goal play call there. That was just so stupid. That and that, that's a separate. I just think that that's him as a coach being Peterson. Idiot. I don't think that has anything well, to do I, with I tanking. Agree. I think the Sudfeld move was tanking. Mm-hmm. I think the not taking the field goal, not taking the points at the end of the third to tie the game, is just him being an asshole or being an idiot. I just don't think he's a good coach. First yeah. of all, yeah, no, I I agree there. And my my view on on tank tanking has always been players and coaches don't tank. This is their livelihood. Players have to earn money. They have to do well to eventually get that nice fat uh, contract same with coaches you can't really afford to lose it, it, you may the coach and the gm when you come in may have an understanding that hey listen we're not going to be aggressive in free agency we're going to try to accumulate picks we might have to tear down the roster a little bit like you said before they just don't have the talent like we've seen in, in many teams so this was the first instance where i kind of saw that the eagles i guess you could say tanked and it came from the coach not from the front office because their team is obviously was built to win, but you saw Carson Wentz team and suit up. So clearly they, they didn't care about winning before they even stepped foot on the field because say Jalen Hurts went down, 
Would it Wentz be the first option off? And the their bench? entire receiving it, core, it, their entire receiving core was inactive, healthy scratches. So right there, mm-hmm. you're already sh- waving the right white flag in terms of we don't really care if we win this game. And it's it's funny because mm-hmm. everyone, all, all the Eagles fans are like, well, Hertz was terrible. They should have taken him out. Well, he's terrible because you took out a couple linemen and his entire yeah. receiving core was out of the game. So what do you want Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. to do at that point? It just wouldn't you mm-hmm. rather see what a what a kid that you used a second round pick on could do late in the fourth quarter against a division rival on primetime, see if he can pull that out. Isn't that more beneficial to you as an organization than seeing some sixth round pick that hasn't played in two years and will probably not play ever again? Like I I to for for Doug Peterson to come out and say, uh, we were playing to win. We thought Sudville gave us a chance to win at the end. That's just a lie. That's just a lie. Mm-hmm. And everybody he's talking to yeah. through the media, he thinks are morons. And he thinks he's smarter than, which is yeah. clearly not true because his team sucks for 11 and one ever since that fluky Super Bowl, his team mm-hmm. sucked. It, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's just really sad to see. And everybody in the NFL rightfully killed him. There's an etiquette to tanking, right? The etiquette to tanking is, as you said, mm-hmm. organizationally, uh, we're going to trade off pieces for draft picks. We're going to. Not really feel the most talented roster over the course of a 16 game season. And we're going to try to get that Mm -hmm. number one pick that's going to transcend our organization and bring them into new heights. Like what the Jacksonville Jaguars have done when, Mm -hmm. when the, when the game starts, you're playing to, you're playing to win with the roster you're in. You you don't tank Mm -hmm. singular games. You might tank over the course of a big picture of a season, not like having Dan Orlovsky, be the quarterback for the lions for an entire season. But when the Mm -hmm. game starts, you owe it to your players that are suiting up in that game to do everything it takes to win a game. And you can't tell me that Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter gave the Eagles a better chance to win than Jalen hurts. It's the most obvious form of tanking I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because I think we both agree that certain situations, it is better to lose to get that better draft pick. I think we agree on that, but it's it, like you said, it, it's it's how I guess you lose, and it, it's such a weird topic because it's like this is the first time, like you said, that you really saw like a tank job. I mean, it took them what 10, 11 weeks to to flip from Wentz to Hertz to see what Hertz got, and then it took them uh, maybe four and a half games to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna put this guy in like it just the whole situation just kind of didn't make any sense and that's I think the way Peterson kind of answered the questions like if he would have just said hey like we wanted to see what these guys got and like we basically if you just said we're kind of treating this game like a tryout for next year I would have been a little more okay with that he said we wanted to get him in but we were still trying to win like no because you can't tell that like exactly and then he tried to do both and it it made him look stupid and I think and, and, and now I wanted to just touch on uh, what Joe Judge was saying. Obviously, he was very hypercritical about it because, again, it affected his season. Yeah. Now, the only thing I, I disliked about what Joe Judge said is that he said, like, staffs and organizations don't care about draft picks. I, I wouldn't go that far. Mm-hmm. However, I do agree that, yeah, you, you want to play to win. And, and a, a specific situation that, about this that I want to get into, and let you mentioned it, you have a second rounder in Hurts who is still trying to prove himself. He's the guy that should be out there. Yeah. Now, 
a situation with, say, the Texans with uh, Deshaun Watson. He played weeks one to 15 or one to 16. And, that, and this was week 17, obviously sitting a guy like that, who's getting paid that much money that I would understand as much. Again, I get the integrity of the game. I get that, but that is just, a, 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 that, that, that's just a kind of a financial decision right there. You don't want to have your all-star player get hurt. And I, and I understand, Oh, well you could take him out right when you leave the playoffs. I get that. I wouldn't do that, but I think once if you made it all the way to week 17 and you're still healthy and this game means nothing to you, then maybe I could get behind that if you already kind of paid this guy because God forbid, and I know it's football and injuries happen all, all the time, but like God forbid, say Deshaun Watson tears his ACL and now he's out all of next year. So it's you're kind of just derailing uh, the whole kind of scope of the franchise if you get hurt in a week 17 game. Week 16, you're fair game. I think you play up until the wire. But once you get to week 17, I think certain situations, there's a little leeway there. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right because the financial decision between Deshaun Watson. But Jalen Hurts isn't getting paid. Jalen Hurts is essentially still trying out Agreed. for the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback position. 100%. And he's going to try out either against Carson Wentz or someone they draft or a veteran that they sign free agent via free agency. You cannot tell me that... Mm-hmm. Anything that Nate Sudfeld could have done in those 15 minutes could have convinced the Eagles that he could in some way have a chance Mm -hmm. to be the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles at any time in the future. So if you're going to put in Nate Sudfeld, that's fine. I said multiple times last night that that is your prerogative to do. Like the the Eagles have the Mm -hmm. right to put in anyone in the roster on the roster into the game that they want. That's that's their job. But when you tell me mm-hmm. that you were coaching to win, that's when you lose me. That's when you lose me because there's no yeah. way you can say that, A, you were trying to get Nate Sudfeld in the game to try to beat Washington, or B, you wanted to see Nate Sudfeld play because we think he's a guy that could help us in the future because he's obviously not. Because if he was, then mm-hmm. over the last four years when he was on the roster, he would have played a game, and he hasn't. He hasn't. So yeah. mm-hmm. I'm fine with what the Eagles did in terms of not entirely trying to win the game, but to make it so blatantly obvious that they were yeah. tanking and to basically lie in the post-game press conference saying that you're trying to win, that that's where you that's where you, that's where you lose people. And they were getting mm-hmm. no, blitzed yeah. by Colin by Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast during the game saying how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. There was a couple weeks ago, uh, someone on the Eagles. Well, his Kel- 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 who was it? Some offensive Jason lineman. Kelsey. Yeah. yeah, Jason Kelsey. Jason he was Kelsey. like, "You play to win the game," and then two weeks later, they don't. It just doesn't make sense yeah. to me. I wonder how this has, if this has any ramifications into the future in terms of people wanting to play for Doug Peterson, because. As you said, players on the NFL, in the NFL right now and on these teams that aren't good don't care about that draft pick. They care about themselves. Mm-hmm. They want to get paid themselves. And they understand that if you're on a bad team, more than more often than not, there's going to be a large roster turnover. So you might not even be there for when that draft pick that you tank yeah. for is there. You might be on a different team. You might be out of the league. So uh, if mm-hmm. I was a player on the Eagles and I was out there, 
um, in the cold weather in Philadelphia in January after taking all these COVID tests over the course of the last 17 weeks. And we enter the final quarter mm-hmm. of this ridiculously insane season. And for Doug Peterson mm-hmm. to just wave the white flag like that, if I was an Eagles player, I'd be a little insulted. Yeah, no, you're making all the right points here. And you're even kind of persuading me to realize how much worse it is than I initially felt. Like, it's, it's, it's like, like how, like, how do you keep the locker room like there? And, that, and that's like, again, obviously I'm going to compare it to the Dolphins situation because they were, oh, they're the worst team ever. They're tanking, they're tanking. Well, they must be the worst tanking team in history because they won five games. And you saw the difference between how they played versus the back end of that Eagles game. Like, it, it just, it, like, if, if, if Chris Collinsworth, the color commentator, is saying that this just doesn't look right. Like, it just looks like a peewee JV football game. And I think everybody kind of caught that vibe. Like, I'm just sitting there watching my brother, and he's like, this just, like, looks terrible. Like, it looked worse than even watching, complete, like, Appalachian State. complete embarrassment. Imagine, wa- imagine, like, everybody in the whole – the entire country is watching that game. And that's the product that the yeah. NFL is putting out there for the entire national audience to see. If you're Goodell, or if you're any, if you're anybody in the commissioner's office, NBC's office, if you're NBC, mm-hmm. you're, you're furious because the product that you put out there is so unbelievably bad. Because that fourth quarter was terrible, mm-hmm. not only for Sudfeld, but the, the Washington played like shit too. Smith couldn't keep yeah. the ball on his. <laughs> he turned the ball a million, over the million times too, and there was fumbles that could have given yeah. the Eagles ball back deep in the terror. It was just really. It was bad football. And you have this guy that everybody wants to see in Jalen Hurts. I'm sure Philadelphia fans want to see what Jalen Hurts can do. I'm sure everybody out there watched college football last year and saw over the last few years Jalen Hurts' journey to where he's gotten to on that night. We're interested in seeing how Jalen Hurts can pull that off. And most importantly, the Eagles front office wants to see if this kid is someone they can rely on moving forward because the Wentz thing is a whole other mm-hmm. thing we can talk about. And then you pulled him for a guy in Nate Sudfeld who, again, I, I sound like a broken record, has no future not only on your team but in the NFL in general. So it's 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 just unbelievably bad. Um, I understand the Giants' frustration, but the Giants, again, they won six games. So you really don't have any leg to stand on because you, you mm. got to be better than six and 10. You, you just got to be better. Yeah. Than six. Uh, but yeah, if you know, if this happened to the Cowboys, if the Cowboys won the game earlier that afternoon and the Eagles pulled out, oh my God, still, yeah. I, first of all, the country would absolutely blow up and Jerry Jones would oh demand God, an yeah. investigation and mm-hmm. et cetera. But I'd still, I'd still be saying the same thing. Definitely. You got to once you can yeah. tank over the course of a long season in terms of not, signing free agents and trading talent away for draft picks and just having a bad roster. But when you take out, mm-hmm. you know, the quarterback that's giving you the best chance to win clearly, and you give it to a guy who has, you know, no chance of being successful. We saw him out there. He threw a pick in a second, his second pass of the game. He threw a pick. He couldn't handle a snap. It was just, it was like putting a high school kid out there. Um, that's when you, and then you lie after the game, you lose people and you, you sound like an idiot. And yeah, now the Eagles are going to have to deal with that because now the Eagles have to deal with free agents who might not want to play for Peterson anymore because they see what he's about. Now you've broken relationships mm-hmm. probably within your own roster. I'm sure Hertz is furious that he got taken out. Your Wentz already hates oh, you. Yeah. I'm sure there's other people 
on the roster yeah. that are like, what the fuck was going on? He, they just put us out there to dry and to get hurt and just to mm-hmm. fail. They, they, my coach set me up to fail. That's what Eagles players are probably thinking in the locker room after the end of the game. And, you know, next year, the Giants are going to be really pissed. And the league is going to be really pissed. And the Eagles yeah. are have a target on their back, which is not good because they're not good to begin with. And I don't think they're good enough to handle having a yeah. target on their back. But we'll see. So, I don't know. That's pretty yeah, much it with the Eagles. Uh, but there's we have a million other things to talk about, um, including mm-hmm. your Miami Dolphins, who had a chance to make the playoffs with the win. They control their own destiny. And they just proceeded to get absolutely trounced by the Bills, who had nothing to play for. Yeah. Um, 56 to 26. I stopped watching like midway through the second quarter to focus on the Giants. Mm. And then I saw the bottom line a couple hours later. It said 56. And I texted you. I was like, 56. So, state of the Dolphins for you. I'll give you the floor. So, obviously, you're always going to remember the most recent game, and that's going to leave the kind of the most impactful taste in our mouths. But Clearly, they showed up and they just were not ready to play. Like they got through three drives of kind of handling Josh Allen, and then they they just got they got outclassed and they got and they had the Bills just have too much talent on that team compared to what we have, especially their offense versus our offense. It's night and day. Again, that's not a knock on two. It's not a knock on anybody. Just we just don't have uh, as much assets and investments in our offense. However, that's going to happen this offseason, no doubt in my mind. But then. It, it was just – it was such a, a sh- an awful game because you knew Matt Barkley was coming in eventually. You just didn't know when. And you see him warming up on the sidelines. Then Josh Allen runs out there, scores a touchdown. Then finally you see Matt Barkley warming up on the sidelines. We're only down 15 at the time. We punt it and they run it back. And then Mark, Matt Barkley plays the rest of the game. So it was just like if you, you punt it to, to the Bills, you're giving Matt Barkley the ball and, and you're giving him the ball – for the duration of the game with more than a half to play in the whole entire game. That's definitely something that you, you could control and you could kind of come out of. And I remember, I don't know if I te- it was texting you or maybe it was texting somebody else about how like with, with the situation they were handed, they were still at one point down 15 with the ball back. And, and this was in the, uh, in the middle of the third quarter. That is something that if you are a playoff team, you should be able to handle. And again, they not only did they have Matt Barkley in, Tredavious White, one of the best cornerbacks they had out. Uh, Matt Milano, one of the better linebackers in the NFL and on their team, was taken out too. So they had their backups in, but then we got destroyed. Like our, again, quote-unquote, where they were the best scoring defense in the NFL, the Dolphins going into it, got absolutely destroyed. So that was a little surprising to see. The offensive struggles don't surprise me because the, the, the offense hasn't been great really all season. And I know there were some games where we're putting up 40 points and stuff like that. But when I went back and watched a couple of those games and some of them fits were in, some of them two were in, but a lot of the times we kind of had those high scores because we either had a defensive touchdown, a special team touchdown, or the defense was turning the ball or was getting turnovers basically in uh, the other team's area, whether it be at the 45 or the 50 or even picking the ball off running back to the 20. So you have less than half the field to work with. So if that happens, you should be scoring. So it, nothing really surprised me by what happened. And, and it's just something that Dolphins fans are conditioned to. And that's just kind of just week 17, not showing up specifically at the bills. Like we just historically never play well there. Like, I, I don't think we've won a game there at new era stadium and probably like since 2016. So just, just a very, a very weird way to end the season. 
And unfortunately, it's a season that you completely overachieved and you did a phenomenal job. You won a ton of games against a lot of great teams who I didn't even think they would compete against. I kind of had them slated at seven and nine, maybe eight and eight. And you go 10 and six. So, I mean, overall, it really is a, a huge accomplishment for what they did and then what Flores did with the team they have. And, and, and a lot of that team is coming back and you're only going to add more to the offense. So they're in a great position, but from a fan perspective, it definitely left a sour taste in their mouth and kind of similar to the Yankees. People are looking to blow things up, but just in, in the totally the wrong areas. Um, in, in terms of, I, I totally agree on, on what you're, what you're saying Tua in this game went 35 for 58 uh, mm-hmm. one touchdown, three interceptions, 361 yards. In terms of Tua, what does he need to be successful? You have all these picks come coming up mm-hmm. in the draft. You have the three, the 18, what is it, the 50th overall as well? What are the – you run down the picks. Yes, yeah. three, three so, 18, 36, and 50. So – you would think that you use that opportunity to really bulk up the offense and give Tua a plethora of weapons around him. With that three pick, you can go that offensive lineman Seawall from Oregon. You can get him that dynamite wide receiver in Devontae Smith, who's probably going to win the Heisman. Um, mm-hmm. So Tua is is a guy who really he, he needs that kind of weapon because if you look at his tape from Alabama, and a lot of people that I was – I've been reading and listening to today have been saying this. You watch him at Alabama. He was much more willing to push the ball downfield in Alabama than his rookie year in Miami. So do you think that with that third overall pick, the Dolphins should get that receiver to really help Tua go over the top a little bit more? Or do you think they should sure up the offensive line or, or running back? Or what, what, do you, what do you think the best opportunity is for the Dolphins in the draft coming up? So uh, yeah, I'll get into first the draft and then I'll try to segue into basically what it's going to take for him to, to be as great as he was in Alabama. So I, I kind of am, am torn between what to do with that third overall pick. A trade back is possible because again, you could never have too much ammo. You'd have to see who you're trading with for like, if you're getting and how many picks obviously you're getting, but I, I just kind of, on today, what it was today, January, January 4th, I am dead set on drafting uh, Pina Sewell from uh, Oregon. I think your offense is nothing without an offensive line. Every great team in the NFL right now has a good offensive line. And if they don't, then that's probably why their offensive lack. So it's like you could get a guy like Devontae Smith, who is amazing at what he does. But if you don't give Tua or any quarterback the time, then it, it's kind of all for naught. And I know a lot of people that I've kind of been reading up on on Twitter, Dolphins media people are saying, oh, well, they invested uh, th- three picks in the first four rounds into Lyman last year. Well, why not more? Like, like I, I can't emphasize this enough that, and you, I'm pretty sure, agree with me that your offensive line is everything, absolutely everything. You go back and watch Josh Allen's game against the Dolphins, and not to knock him because he's great and he's probably uh, – MVP or or maybe he'll lose it to Rodgers, but he's one or two. He is able to get to his first, second, third read. And then if it's not there, he could just scramble out. Like there was very few plays that he made where he was rushed. And then you sprinkle in that your receivers have no time to get open if you're throwing the ball in under two seconds every single time. 
So nothing can flow properly. And then obviously you sprinkle in the run game too. If you don't have a line, you don't have a run game. I don't care if you have Barry Sanders in your backfield. So to me, everything stems from the run game. I mean, from uh, the offensive line. So if you can get this quote unquote elite, elite talent in PNA Sewell, you do that. And then you have now three returning rookies. You have Eric Flowers, who I know wasn't good with the Giants, but he's doing a little bit better with the Dolphins as a guard, not a tackle. And then you honestly, you probably spend another third or fourth round or maybe on a center. And then you resign the center that we had, Ted Karras. And you just, again, you do whatever it takes to shore up that line. Like I want like legit brick wall. Cause again, you see what Andrew Luck was able to do when they put uh, an offensive line in front of him. You see with the Colts, even right now with the run game, Jonathan Taylor had 200 yards. I mean, he was hitting the second level every single time. So that's where I would go. And then I would obviously say for the next uh, three picks after the first one, you have to go wide receiver, if not maybe even two within those first four picks. And then you're probably going to have to go running back, preferably if you could get ETNA or Najee Harris, that would be awesome. So now uh, kind of getting into what Tua needs. Tua isn't like the only quarterback that needs good weapons around him. And I was listening to a podcast today, Dolphins podcast, and they were basically saying, look at the Bills receiving core and skill players all together. Look at the Steelers skills players. Look at the Chiefs skill players. Look at basically every team that made the playoffs and then compare them to your team's skill players. And then for the Dolphins' sake, when you do that, there's I think Devontae Parker might be the only player that is better than some other team's skill players. And that's probably maybe they're two or three. So that's something, too, I think the Giants, because they kind of not lack skill players, but but they need some help. They lack skill players. So something... So, yeah, so something you could do even right now is really look at who they have at their skill, but even compare them to their divisional rival in the Cowboys. I don't think anyone on the Giants' skill players compare to who the Cowboys got. No, nobody's Amari Cooper. Nobody's CeeDee Lamb. Their best offensive player is apparently Aaron, Evan Ingram, and he's terrible. We'll get into that later because I hate him. Exactly. But, yeah, the Giants' Dolphins are on a very yeah. similar plane when it comes to, you know, they have this young quarterback that a lot of people like and who shows at times mm-hmm. – some flashes of being a franchise guy. The problem is like they, what's around him isn't good enough. Now I know Barkley was out the entire year, but it's not, it's not just about, you need Mm -hmm. more than Saquon Barkley for Daniel Jones to be a, you know, a successful quarterback. Cause if you have Barkley and Barkley's effective, that opens up the play action pass. But when you play action pass, everything you have to to throw it to somebody and the giants really don't have anyone to throw it to. Mm -hmm. uh, Sterling Shepard, had a hundred yards last game against the Cowboys yesterday against the Cowboys. That was the first time he broke a hundred yards all season. And he's more of a slot guy than anything yeah. else. Slayton's a nice guy, nice player, but he's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's not scaring any secondaries like secondaries mm-hmm. go, aren't going over film, like shaking, like how are we going to stop Darius Slayton? They don't really have mm-hmm. that guy. And the dolphins are kind of giants and dolphins are on the same boat where they ha- really have to start focusing on getting weapons for their young quarterback. Yeah, and this is this is the weirdest part that I have kind of most annoying part that I have with people who say anybody's a bust. And this is kind of myself a little bit in the past included on certain players. What do you expect a quarterback to do when they have no one around him? Again, and it is a testament to how good Deshaun Watson, I believe, is because he really doesn't have much around him. However, his skill players are still better. And, And even with Rodgers, I think he's probably 
the best quarterback because I think we talked about it last podcast that he can do the best within the worst situation. But besides them two, everybody else, you look at who they have around him, you need players. And again, even uh, Aaron Rodgers, he still has Devontae Adams. And even uh, Lazard, like, they're still like good players. And then, when I, like I said, when I compare him to who the Dolphins have, our skill players don't compete. So all these fans, and even if the Dolphins are literally saying, oh, get rid of him. I'm like, you could bring in Tom Brady, Peyton Manning in his prime. He's not doing anything unless you have weapons around him or even a line in front of him or not both. So I, I hate this narrative that like the only way to judge if someone's good is if they do the best with the least around them. Like, mm-hmm. how about you judge them when they have at least people competent around them and at least a competent offensive line. I know this is something that, that I, I was very critical on Sam Darnold, even Daniel Jones, but it's something that I need to kind of, rethink a little bit and really look at who they have on the offensive line and who they have as weapons and like really watch the games and say, are they, are these receivers getting separation? And then you even factor in the play call. And like the, the last thing with two is that you can't really say that he's not good because he's been great before. So if he's shown the ability that he could be great, why wouldn't that necessarily happen in the NFL? The only reason it wouldn't is because the team around him, it really isn't what is going to suit him. And I know it's like, oh, well, you have to cater to your quarterback. That's going to take forever, blah, blah, blah. That's not how it should be. Bullshit. Like, your quarterback is who he is. You know what works for him. Do whatever it takes to build around him. That's kind of just how how I am am approaching this offseason. I honestly think that's how every team has to approach their offseasons and how they build the roster. I think what you said is perfect. I think the perfect example of that can be found this year within a two-game stretch with Baker Mayfield both at MetLife Stadium and back-to-back mm-hmm. games. You saw the Sunday night game a few weeks ago against the Giants. He he couldn't be stopped. He looked like the next, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning in that game against the Giants because he was hitting all of his receivers. His receivers were getting open. What happens in the next week? His entire receiving core gets COVID. And then they yeah. play the he plays the Jets, one of the worst teams in the entire league, and they lose, and Baker Mayfield looks terrible. Now, it, was he terrible, or was his supporting cast completely destroyed basically by Mm -hmm. contact tracing and COVID tracing and all that. So what you said is absolutely true. Any quarterback can be really good. Any quarterback can be really, really bad. Just depends on who you have around you and who's coaching you. And the same could be said about Sam Darnold. Now the jets can move on from Sam Darnold because they just want to reset the clock and get Justin Fields and bring Mm -hmm. him in and just start over. But would it surprise anyone if Sam Darnold, who's still very, very young at the age of 23 and went to mm-hmm. the 49ers or went to you know the Colts or the Patriots or any of these teams that have competent like coaches and people around them that'll make him great, and all of a sudden he does well? That wouldn't surprise me at all. So what you said is perfect. It's all about who you have no, around you. Right now, right now, Tua doesn't have exactly what he should around him and for what he had around him in his rookie season in a season where there was no training camp and no preseason and they just like they took the leash off and said go have fun good luck i think he did he did a pretty good job despite all the circumstances that were going around going against him yeah the kind of the last thing i'll kind of touch upon about that is obviously he's being compared to herbert as he should be because the dolphins could have had him I, i fully understand that but you cannot tell me that Herbert's uh, 
kind of Herbert's situation that he's in from an offensive standpoint, because, because obviously the team wise, they, they still stunk. They still lost games, but offensively Keenan Allen, one of the one, probably a top 10 receiver in the NFL. You look at Mike Williams. He's a very good option. Number two, Austin Eckler is probably a top 10 running back in the NFL. And then I don't really know too, too much about their line, but I bet they didn't start three rookies on the line like Miami did. So when you factor all those things in, you're like, hell yeah. Like, like again, good for Justin Herbert for doing great in that situation. But like I, I, I am not necessarily surprised because yeah, he is a good player. And then you put him in a good situation and a good scheme that fits him. You're allowing him to air the ball out. That he didn't really do at Oregon. So it's a perfect situation for him. And I can't fault Justin Herbert for that. But the same reason I can't fault Tua for not lighting it up certain games. And, and the weird part is he did have games where he lit it up. And I know one of the biggest games that kind of stands out in my mind is uh, the game against the Bengals. And I know everybody's going to be like, oh, well, beating the Bengals isn't anything, blah, blah, blah. No, he beat the Bengals and his wide receivers. And anybody listening, let me know if you know who these guys are. Isaiah Ford, who is, who is on the Dolphins. Traded to the to the Patriots for a seventh rounder and then cut by them and we took him back. Mac Hollins, glorified special teamer. Uh, Malcolm Perry, seventh rounder out of Navy rookie. Lynn Bowden Jr., third rounder who was came in, went to the Raiders after the draft as a running back and then got traded to us before he even stepped foot in a Raiders uniform. That was his receiving core that game because Parker was out, Preston Williams was out, Mike Kosicki was out. Uh, Miles Gaskin was out too. So his top four basically playmakers were out. So people really need to understand, be like, like look at each individual situation. And, and Lewis Riddick had a great video on and really talked about how everybody for some reason nowadays is so hypercritical and they have no patience with anything that, like you said, you're going to see situations where Donald's going to go to another team and kill it. I mean, again, obviously, Dolphins fans know this. Look what Tannehill is doing with Tennessee. Like, like he's arguably a top 12, maybe even top 10 quarterback when you look at his statistics and even when you just watch his games. I mean, you can't dismiss that absolute dime he threw to, to seal the game, basically, uh, against the Texans. So you have to look at the situation around him. And you look at Tannehill, he's in a perfect situation. You have the best running back in the NFL. You have an offensive line that absolutely mauls people. And the offense stems off of that play action. And then you have factor in A.J. Brown, who's one of the best wide receivers up and coming. And then you have Corey Davis, too. And then you sprinkle in, uh, what, Delaney Walker, I think they're tight ends. Like, they they have great weapons. That's kind of what I'm going to start doing now when I really look at each individual quarterback situation to situation, look at kind of who I have on my team or you have on your team, whoever's listening, who their favorite team is and compare them to kind of other teams around you. And then, then you could start looking at the team success and stuff like that, because just looking at a statue is too lazy. All right. Before we talk about the giants and then put them to bed, just one last thing on the dolphins. Mm-hmm. We have eight months Guys. until week one, 2021. And there's going to be a lot of things, a lot of changes mm-hmm. coming and a lot of additions made to the roster via draft, via free agency, via trade. But as we're sitting here on January 4th, with what you just saw in a 10 and six season, just narrowly missing the playoffs is next season, a playoff or a bust situation for Flores and Tua. I would say, yeah, I think the defense has proved that they're ready to go. You're going to Tua got kind of, hopefully you're assuming he got his rookie rust off, not to say it's not going to be there a little bit next year, but 
by the time you get to week, like maybe even five, I, I go as early as week five. And assuming if they have a preseason, then you would even back it to say week three, you're ready to rock right now. I mean, if you proved you can win 10 wins this season, then there's no reason you kind of can't do it next season. And then now basically every single year and with the money you invested in the defense and the money they're probably going to invest in the offense this, this off season, you're ready to roll again. This is kind of my knock with certain Jets fans is that you can't rebuild forever. Eventually you have to yeah. say, Hey, we're going to start competing. And I think for the Dolphins, they understand that they're, they're going to say, Hey, we're ready to go. Now you're probably going to see another big name splash in wide uh, for a wide receiver in free agency. And maybe even at linebacker, we'll see what happens, but they're sitting on going to be 40. It could go upwards of maybe 50 million cap space. I have a feeling they're probably going to use all of it. And I was looking at some cap cap numbers today. The Bills and the Chiefs basically like have maxed out uh, salary caps right now, and the re- and they're spending money. And they know, hey, we're Super Bowl contenders, so it's a perfect time to spend money. And and I think the Dolphins are understanding that, hey, they might not be super Super Bowl contenders just yet, but they're ready to say, hey, we're going to start challenging the Bills for the division, and we have to be challenging every other team for wild card spots and making the playoffs. Moving on to the Giants. They got the win barely against Dallas yesterday. I don't know if you saw the end of the game with the Gallman run to ice it and then the fumble. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, my God. Heart attack. Oh, my God. Like, like the, the most Giants <laughs> thing. We, we've seen the Matt Dodge. We've seen back before we were even born that Herm Edwards play. Um, mm-hmm. just so many nightmares for the giants. I remember Jay Feely missed like three game winning field goals that would have put them in the playoffs 10 years ago. And they lost that. It just, it was just the most giant thing ever, but they got, they got through it and they won the game. And then they, obviously yeah. they waited on the Eagles disaster to happen. They're not going to make the playoffs and that's fine. Um, six and 10, they're going to have the 11th seed. The giants clearly improved significantly in terms of their effort. And I think that's on Joe judge. So I'm very confident in Joe judge in the as a head coach but at the end of the day they still mm-hmm. went six and ten and they still have lost 10 10 games at least in the last four years and eight of the last nine years so how successful was this season i think you can say it was successful in terms of i think you got the head coach right but there's still a lot of things you got to mm-hmm. do to fix this team First of all the offense dave gettleman has been trying to build this offense for three years he's his first round picks in the last three years have all been offense based and it's still 31st ranked in terms of scoring points. Um, I'm not entirely sold on Daniel Jones, mostly because this is a guy that's seemed to have, seems to struggle to stay healthy. And then, you know, I I don't like, I don't like their weapons. I like their defense. I think their defense Mm -hmm. is good. I think Martinez is a beast. I like Bradbury and I like McKinney. I like Jabril. I think Jordan Love, who they extended. I like what they have defensively. I think Leonard Williams, the one thing that Gettleman's done really well was get that trade mm-hmm. and get Leonard Williams in there. And he had 11 and a half sacks. I don't know how he wasn't a pro bowler. But mm-hmm. in terms of this offense, that needs to be the key focus of this offseason. My problem is I don't trust Dave Gettleman to make the right decisions. And it, all, po- all signs are pointing that he's going to stay the general manager. At the 11th spot, I don't know what you do. I don't know if there's a trade to move up. If you want one of the top wide receivers, I don't know if Chase and Smith are going to be there by the time you get to 11. I don't know what they're going to do free agent wise, but at the end of the day, they got the head coach. We still don't know about the quarterback and I don't trust the general manager. 
So I'm not exactly confident that the Giants are going to make a seismic leap next season. I'll believe it mm-hmm. when I see it, and I'm I'm hopeful that they could. I think they could if they did it right, because as we've seen, the division mm-hmm. sucks, and anyone can win the division because all of them except Philadelphia had a chance into the last week. But for them to make a jump from what they are to a team that could be respected as an eventual Super Bowl contender, I don't know if Dave Gettleman is the guy that can take them there. Yeah, again, like you said, for all the investments that you've put into the offense, and then and then obviously you sign Golden Tate too, they just it hasn't panned out. And, and again, people want to put that possibly all on Daniel Jones. Maybe he he is carrying a large chunk of that burden, and it could be rightfully so. But just with, with again, the line's pretty much been been a mess for a while, and it seems like Andrew Thomas has been d- doing admirable. I think maybe getting pick number four isn't suited to his results just yet. But again, you got to give that some time. Rookie lineman, you want to see some progression there. But I don't think he disappointed at all. But I think for for the Giants and and kind of similar to the Dolphins, you have to look at right now from an offensive standpoint because both the defenses look figured out. Well, pretty much everybody on their defense is going to be coming back for the next year, if not the next two or three years. But what weapons kind of on offense surprised you? And I know looking just kind of throughout the whole year, I think Wayne Gallman proved that he could be a running back one. So that's something that the Giants have to take take away from the season as a huge positive, absolutely huge positive. Right? Gallman, like day in and day out for the most part, did really, really well. So that was just really kind of cool to see. And then obviously in the back of your mind, you're like, do we want to re-sign Saquon? So they're going to have to figure that out. An, a negative side to what they discovered on offense is that Evan Ingram is probably a guy they don't want to re-sign. So that might no. be something where you see maybe a trade in the offseason. Who knows? He's, he's terrible. And the interception that happened yesterday, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm sure you have. No, I saw it. it it's mm. right through his hands, off the face, Mac, up in the air. That happened. That's happened more than once this season. This guy can't mm. catch. His drop yeah. against Philadelphia is the reason they didn't make the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to, like, I know it's a team it's sport that. and you win and lose as a team, but literally, mm-hmm. if he makes that catch, the Giants make the playoffs. So, in turn, he mm-hmm. singularly is the reason the Giants didn't make the playoffs. I don't know how he made the Pro Bowl. I don't know how you can just, I need someone to I, throw I, me I, the stats and compare him to other NFC tight ends because I don't know how this guy made the I Pro Bowl with all the drops he's had. Um, I, I don't know where you go with him. I, that was a Jerry Reese pick in the first round. I always forget that, but I, mm-hmm. I it, it's, it's just really bad. And is that, is that the, the problem is he's the, probably the number one target for the giants right now. You need to upgrade from Evan yeah. Ingram somehow. So I know Saquon Barkley is going to mm-hmm. come back, but how, how much better can Saquon Barkley be than what Wayne Gallman did this season? I know Wayne Gallman isn't a guy that's going to have a 1,000-yard rushing season, and Saquon is. But, you know, Saquon Barkley Mm -hmm. was the Giants running back for the majority of his first two years in the league. And how many wins did that equate to? At the end of the day, you need weapons to push the ball downfield. The one strength that Daniel Jones has, in my opinion, is that he throws a very good deep ball. I really like the deep ball that he throws. And I think that's also... And that I think another thing that he does really well is obviously in the... Um, run pass option he can keep the ball and he could pick up move the chains with his legs but 
you really want to exploit more his arm and his deep ball. And I think the most important thing Mm -hmm. in the offseason is to get that wide receiver that could challenge defenses over the top. Because when Saquon Barkley comes back, Mm -hmm. you don't want what to happen over the last couple of years that has happened is that defenses stack the box, they stop Barkley, and then they're daring Daniel Jones or at the time Eli Manning to throw the ball over the middle, and they can't do it because they don't have the weapon that could. So Saquon's best year was that rookie year. When he won Offensive mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year, he was sensational. But they also had the threat of Odell Beckham Jr. over the top that gave Saquon some space because the defense had the respect who was on the outside. Now the Giants don't have that. So I think that wide receiver is probably the number one target and the number one item on my wish list this offseason for the Giants. Yeah, I think the Giants and Dolphins are going to be tied to a ton of free agents and a ton of uh, potential draft picks in the first round as far as interest and specifically with wide receiver. A couple names I wanted to touch upon that I think should be on Giants radar. One being Kyle Pitts. He's the tight end out of Florida, who is again similar to Evan Ingram where he's basically just a glorified uh, wide receiver but Kyle Pitts was borderline a Heisman finalist. So you go back and you watch his tape and you watch his highlights and you, talk, you listen to analysts and stuff talk about him they say he is legit. So I think that is definitely a potential add-on. And again, even if you keep Ingram, you run a two tight end set and you have Pitts and you have Ingram there, similar to what the Patriots used to do. It's not unheard of. And another few names they the Giants fans, I believe, should keep an eye on because let's just assume that Chase, Waddle, and Smith aren't there at number 11. In just using uh, the draftnetwork.com, they're kind of big board rankings. They got Chase at number five, Waddle at seven, Devontae Smith nine. And there's kind of a drop off and you don't see anyone until 23. And that's Rashad Bateman. So these are a few names I want to just touch upon that I think could be later second to third round steals for both the Giants and the Dolphins. And so one being Rashad Bateman, who I do think is going to leak into the first round. Then you're looking at uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. Then you have Kadarius Toney out of Florida. And then... A lot of people should be familiar with Chris Olave at Ohio State because he just torched Clemson. I think he had two or three touchdowns. So I think Giants and Dolphins fans and anyone really seeking a later or I mean early second round, maybe late second round receiver should be watching this national championship game to look at Chris Olave and see what he's got. Yeah, it's interesting where they are in the draft at 11. If they would have lost against the Cowboys and they would have dipped into the top 10, maybe at six, wherever it would have ended up then you can dream mm-hmm. about the chase and the Smith and the waddle, but at 11, it's not really there. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. do the giants, if they really are desperate and they really want chase or Smith or whatever, do they go up or maybe if, or maybe they go back down? I don't know who would be there offensively at 11. That's worthwhile picking that could help Daniel Jones and be a real weapon for him. But we can, we'll see because you know, things happen in the draft all the time that are unforeseen. So I definitely think going into the offseason that the Giants and the Dolphins, they're always on this entire season. They've always seemed to be on the same kind of plane of what their needs are. Yeah, very similar paths. I -hmm. definitely think that weapon for their young quarterback is important. More so the Giants because Daniel Jones is now in year three and then Saquon Barkley is entering Mm -hmm. year four. So they, they have much a much smaller window to get things done with the core that they currently have than the Dolphins do. 
So we'll see what happens over the next few months with those two organizations. We'll both be following it closely. But there are games that are going to happen next week, and the playoffs are starting. So the wild card round on Saturday will be the early game will be Colts-Bills. Four o'clock game will be Rams-Seahawks. And then the Buccaneers and the Washington football team will be the nightcap. And then on Sunday, it's going to be Ravens-Titans early. Four o'clock, it will be Bears-Saints. And then the late game will be the browns and the Steelers. We'll start with the Saturday games. Can you see the Bills losing to the Colts? I don't know if I do because I like the Colts. I have a friend that lives in Indiana. Mm-hmm. He was my roommate in Disney World. He's a big Colts fan. I'm rooting for him. But I, I just don't see it. I think the Bills are just really hot right now. Dismantle the Patriots, dismantle the Dolphins. I think they're peaking at the right time. And we talked about this last mm-hmm. week in terms of who in the AFC is going to challenge Kansas City. I think the Bills have something really special cooking right now. And I don't know. I don't know what the line is, but I think the Bills should be heavily. Got minus six and a half Bills. Minus right six now. and a half. So I think the Bills, yeah. well, I know now that the Bills are heavily favored, and I think they should be. And I think mm-hmm. this is going to be a relatively easy win for Buffalo because I just think they're a more talented football team than Indianapolis is at this point. Yeah, I mean, Indy obviously has a very good defense, but so do the Dolphins. And that Bills offense, I think, again, I think the Bills are the hottest team in the NFL right now. And it really is just kind of crazy. Like you said, they are peaking at the perfect time. Like I just, I can't see a scenario where the Bills who are finally getting fans, even though it's only going to be like 6,600, something like that, they are going to sound like 100,000. Bills Mafia is going to be going crazy. I think they're probably going to end up winning by two touchdowns at the very least because that Colts offense against the Jaguars uh, on Sunday was embarrassing like there was absolutely no offense from from them and again it's just it's something that the Colts are gonna have to figure out in the offseason like is Philip Rivers really gonna kind of win you games because you're doing it on the uh with the running game like Jonathan Taylor absolutely killing it the offensive line killing it but Philip Rivers is not getting the job done and I think when you get to the playoffs a guy or or kind of a question mark like that is not going to beat one of the best teams in the NFL in the Bills I really am rooting for Philip Rivers in this game, though, because he's part of that 4 draft mm-hmm. class with Eli and Big Ben, and he's the one guy that not only hasn't won a Super Bowl, has never been there. So I really, I'm really mm-hmm. pulling for Phil Rivers, but I just don't know how much he has left in the tank. And I think Josh Allen, mm-hmm. um, other than Aaron Rodgers, is the MVP of the league. Um, I know Rodgers is going to win it, because, but you know Josh Allen had a fantastic year, and I think that's going to, I think that's going to continue. The next game, the mid the midday game, will be the Rams and Seahawks. Now, the Rams don't have Goff, but John Warford, is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> he played really well. He did not. It was his NFL debut. He went 22 of 38, 231 yards, didn't have a touchdown through a pick, but he did what he needed to do. And, you know, the Seahawks have been kind of an up-and-down team this season. What's mm-hmm. the, Do you got the line on that one? So that one is minus four and a half to uh, Seattle. And, you know, Warford, he's guys backup. Obviously, he'll be making his second start if Goff, Goff's not playing, right? He's out. No, I think he had surgery on his thumb. Yeah, I okay. So he's out. He could. Now, the Seahawks are a team that lost to Colt McCoy and the Giants. So is it out of the realm of possibility that the Rams 
pull off this upset? I don't think so. I, I think it could be, but I I don't know. I, I'll, I'm going to trust Russell Wilson in the playoffs, a guy that's been there, done that. I'm going to trust him to kind of get by a Rams team that's injured, but still dangerous, in my opinion, in this wild card game. Yeah, the Rams, again, they're going to have uh, – they have a very good defense, but they're going to need to play a perfect game to even have a chance. And, I, again, even if I think the defense plays a perfect game, I just I don't see Warford and that offense really doing much. So I think it's going to be an unfortunate end for uh, the Rams, especially anytime you lose your starting quarterback the, the week before you uh, kind of go into the playoffs – kind of segueing back to what we talked about earlier, you kind of understand why the Steelers sat Big Ben and stuff like that. But anyway, I, I just think it's, it's going to leave a, a bitter taste in their mouth because they have a playoff team and they have a team that, if healthy, I think the Rams could beat the Seahawks. But you're, you're not betting against Russell Wilson against a backup no. quarterback, especially in the playoffs. And even if Goff was playing and he was – even if Goff was playing in this game, like we, we were still not sold, I guess. I feel like both of us and a lot of people around the league aren't really sold on yeah. Goff. He's been really up and down. He did make it to that one Super mm-hmm. Bowl. But since then, he's really never made that next step into being a star quarterback. And it's mm-hmm. been more of McVay and that defense really carrying that organization for the last few years. So we'll see what happens – yeah. Next season, when Goff returns, maybe this is kind of like the last chance for Goff to really solidify himself as a you know premier quarterback in this league. But it will be Wilson against Warford in that game. So we'll see what happens there. I think we're both in agreement that the Seattle should take care of business in that one, especially being at home. The late game is going to be the Buccaneers mm-hmm. and Washington. Um, I think the Buccaneers have really clicked offensively the last few weeks. They struggled in the middle part of the mm-hmm. season. But Washington's defense is very good, especially that front line of the defense. They're going to make Tom Brady run around. Chase Young already said, Tom Brady, I'm coming for you. My worry, Mm -hmm. if I was Washington, is that, you know, even though Alex Smith is back into the lineup, he's clearly um, laboring on that ankle. So I don't know how much Washington's going to be able to score. I think if Washington's going to stay in this game, they're going to have to outscore Tampa Bay. And I don't, I don't think that's a possibility for as good as that Washington defense is. I think Tom Brady um, just has finally found a rhythm with Tampa. And I think that I think this is going to be a relatively easy win for the Buccaneers. Yeah. Again, it's, it's kind of similar to to the Rams Seahawks and even the, the Colts bills. Like, listen, Washington, their backbone of that team is that defense, but it's just you have quarterbacks in play right now that just I don't think are going to be able to outduel Tom Brady. Like I do think that if anybody was going to give uh, Tampa Bay fits, it would have been probably any team from the NFC East specifically. I think the Giants kind of similarly, their defense could have kind of shook them up a little bit. And again, if if Tampa Bay does what they've been doing the last few weeks, and honestly, pretty much the whole season, I know they've had a couple games that made us raise concern, but at the end of the day, they're 11 and five. And again, you're 11 and five for a reason. Tom Brady has 4,600 yards, 40 touchdowns and 12 interceptions for someone who, who took so much scrutiny when they were struggling, especially on opening day, this man basically put up a potentially MVP season. Mm-hmm. But I think we really need to kind of understand what Brady is doing at the age of 42 it honestly is getting kind of ridiculous, like how good he is. And again, another year where we're trying to write him off, but we just can't. We absolutely can't. And I don't think you're going to be able to because I think Tampa Bay is going to pull this one out and make a very deep playoff run. 
I think I agree with you. I think Tampa Bay is going to pull this one out and it's going to be a one and done playoff appearance for Washington. But let's just give credit where credit is due for Washington. They kind of they they were they mm-hmm. won the division by default, but that, that's, that doesn't take away what Alex Smith accomplished for what he's been through. And that doesn't take away what Ron Rivera has accomplished, what he's been through. Um, they have an owner that's universally disliked by the fan base. Um, they obviously had the Haskins situation to deal with. They had a couple COVID outbreaks that they had to deal with. So, you know, take the opportunity now because we probably won't next week because they'll be out that Washington did a very, very good job this year. They beat, they beat the undefeated Steelers at the time and they, they won the division. So credits, credits do, but you know. It reminds me of the the year when Tebow was going crazy for the Broncos, and then they then he ran into Brady mm-hmm. in the playoffs, and then that was the end of it. So, give give Washington credit, but I agree with you. I think the Buccaneers are going to handle this fairly easily. Um, mm-hmm. Moving <clears throat> forward, this is the most interesting game of the weekend, in my opinion. The early Sunday game is the Ravens and the Titans. Now it's the rematch of last year's divisional round when the Ravens had the first seed and they got bounced by Tennessee, who was coming off of that win against Brady and the Patriots in the wild card game. This is the one game that I could see going either way. Last year, obviously the Tennessee Titans won that game and went on to go to the next round where they lose to the eventual champion, Kansas city chiefs. It's going to be the Henry versus Lamar Jackson show offensively for both these teams. The Titans will win this game the way the Titans win most of their games. And that's by Derek Henry really carrying the load offensively. Uh, I know that Tannehill has made some really good throws when he's needed to, but that offense runs predominantly on Derek Henry. And here we go again, third straight year in the playoffs for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Is this going to be the time when Lamar finally comes comes up big in a big game when all eyes are on him. I'm really fascinated to see what Lamar Jackson comes, how he comes to play on Sunday. I think this is going to be really big in terms of what the Ravens do moving forward with Lamar Jackson for as good as he is in the regular season. And mm-hmm. he is amazing. And he won the MVP last year and at, to- and at his best, he's electric, but you can't deny the fact that the last, the first two playoff games he's played in, he's laid an egg and he's been terrible. So I'm really fascinated to see how Lamar does. If you put a gun to my head and told me to pick this game, I just think that the consistency that the Titans bring, led by Vrabel and having that ground and pound game with Derrick Henry and having Tannehill make those throws when he needs them to, I would give him the straight, this the slight edge, especially being at home. I think the Titans pull this one out in a mm-hmm. close game, but I think the Ravens I think the Ravens could win this game and I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Yeah, I, I think the the most important factors of this game are not Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson. I think it's Vrabel and Harbaugh. I mean, like you said, Vrabel's gotta go in there and, and understand that hey, what we did last year worked, but is that gonna work again? And Harbaugh's gotta figure out what do we have to do to not repeat last year. So I think this is going to be a absolute coaching duel. And again, I'm very intrigued to see how each team comes out. And honestly, I think it would be dumb for the Ravens to come out and try to do what they did last year. And again, if I'm the Titans, you obviously already have the game plan for that, but I have a feeling you might see a a little bit of a heavier dose of Tannehill kind of play action and Tannehill passes earlier on than you would against any other team. I think, 
they're going to trust that connection that he has with A.J. Brown to maybe kind of take him off guard. And then once they start putting guys back, bang. And then you got Derrick Henry running all the way up and down the field. So I agree with you. I am going to give a slight edge to the Titans there. Uh, I really hope, though, that even if they lose, I really hope that Lamar plays well because we can put this kind of narrative to bed that he's bad in big games Mm -hmm. because I like seeing really great athletes perform well. And I think it would just be a nightmare if Lamar Jackson went out and he played like he did last year against the Titans or the year before that against the Chargers. I think that would be terrible. So Mm -hmm. what I want to, what I'm rooting for in this game, I don't really have a rooting interest. I think the Titans are going to win, but if I was, if I was rooting for anyone in this game, I'm rooting for Lamar. I know that I know you probably Mm -hmm. disagree because you're a big Tannehill guy, but it would be nice to see Lamar ball out on national TV. Yeah, of course. It's just good for the NFL when you have great players who have success in the playoffs. It's just it's good for everybody. You bring in more money, you bring in more fans. He's obviously very exciting to watch. Now you want to bury the narrative that people say, oh, well, mobile quarterbacks can't win. So I think this is his opportunity to to kind of show the world, basically. Moving on, this game doesn't interest me at all. The Bears and Saints, the Bears, they needed the Rams to bail them out against the Cardinals to back into the playoffs after they lost to Green Bay in week 17. The Saints are just far and away better than the Bears. I know Drew Brees is not the Drew Brees that we saw 10 years ago. And I know that it's going to be tough for them to move forward, get through beyond Tampa Bay and get through beyond the Seattles and, you know, eventually uh, Green Bay. But the Bears are not a playoff team. And they kind of just at eight and eight. I would pick the, if if they went up against Washington, I'd probably pick Washington. I don't like Mitch Trubisky at all. I don't think he's the guy. Same. I yeah. I, I, I think this is just going to mm-hmm. be a cakewalk for New Orleans. I think this will be over early. Yeah. No. Again, I, I I'm not going to waste more than one sentence on it. Going with the Saints, like you said, they're uh, head and shoulders better team, and I think they're going to prove that. On Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you paired that up because I almost forgot. <laughs> if you don't watch this game on Nickelodeon, you suck. You're you're a shitty person. <laughs> like it, 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 uh, It's CBS. I don't think it's the main CBS. I think the Colts Bills will have the Nance Romo telecast if Romo's mm-hmm. back from his COVID kind of break. But oh, true. Yeah, it'll probably, probably be Iron Eagle and whatever, whoever Iron Eagle is paired up with most of the time. But I don't know who the commentator mm-hmm. is going to be on Nickelodeon because it's going to be different announcers and there's going to be slime and there's going to be SpongeBob and there's going to be all these fun little cartoons. You have to watch the game on Nickelodeon. If you don't watch the Nickelodeon game, Matt, I'll be very upset with you. I'm watching. Don't worry. I'm ready oh, for yeah, the, yeah. the SpongeBob halftime show. Of course, Nickelodeon gets the worst game. Like they didn't get, they didn't I get know. Ravens Titans just... and they didn't get Rams Seahawks or anything else. Oh man. It would have been funny to see if like a real great team was in a wild card. Like all these teams are good, but it's not, they're not like the Chiefs yeah. good. Like if the Chiefs mm-hmm. had a wild card game and it was on Nickelodeon and like Patrick Mahomes was like chilling with SpongeBob, that'd be great. So good for the NFL for doing yeah. this. This is fun. This is, yeah, fun. no, the, I love it. Brown Steelers to wrap up wildcard weekend Sunday at eight o'clock on NBC. Um, the Browns have more. I feel like the Browns have more momentum going into this game against Pittsburgh. We've seen Pittsburgh falter the last quarter of the season. I think this is, I think this is a pick them. Um, not as much as a pick them as 
Ravens Titans. I still think the Browns just based on momentum. I just think they have something going. I don't know how much left in the tank Big Ben has this season. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the Browns pull this one out on the road because I, I just this is, Pittsburgh's been very disappointing since starting the season 10, 11, and 0, whatever it was. I think the Browns have the momentum and they ride that wave to the divisional round. Yeah, I, I'm I guess similar to you rooting for Lamar Jackson. I, I'm rooting for Baker Mayfield. He's gotten so much crap from all I've given it to him too that's what I mean and I think this is such a great moment for people just to really appreciate his progression and also just appreciate the ups and downs that young quarterbacks and just young athletes have in general I think this is his coming out party because again I know he won rookie the he did win rookie of the year right no Saquon won, won it uh, so, but uh, so I'm sure he was in the running. He had a good rookie season, whatever. Sophomore year was not very good. And now this year he's having a very good season. So I think this is going to be the icing on the cake. And then also I would prefer to see the Steelers lose. And then we just let Big Ben ride off into the sunset. Again, I don't think he's got anything left. I think the Steelers need an excuse to kind of basically ship him off. I think them losing to the Browns, especially on their home field, is going to be what, what basically makes that uh, happen. And I think it'd be fun to see a Cleveland Brown playoff run because they haven't made to the playoffs since 2002. So that's 19 years ago now. So there's a generation of fans that have never seen this before. I think it'd be fun if they went on a little run. The Baker Mayfield, for as good as he is, he's a very polarizing figure in the NFL. If you don't believe, if you don't believe me, just Mm -hmm. ask Colin Coward, what he thinks about Baker Mayfield. Um, (laughs) I, I think that, I think that's a good story. I think it's a good story. If the Browns, make some noise in this playoffs because everyone likes that Cinderella, not saying that the 11, five Browns are a Cinderella because they're a good team and they don't deserve the Cinderella label. I always thought Cinderella is for like those nine and seven, eight and eight teams, but yeah, why yeah. not? Why not? Plus, you know, you yeah. got to justify all those commercials somehow. You got to have some sort of playoff success. I will tell you this. Exactly. If Baker is terrible against the Steelers and they lose, that's going to be a lot that he's going to have to deal with because everybody is going to shout at him mm-hmm. about how bad it was. We, we we think that Lamar Jackson gets a tough break when he loses and how the media pans him. If Baker Mayfield lays an egg against the Steelers and the Steelers like blow the Browns apart, it's going to be a long offseason for Baker Mayfield. I think out of all of the teams all the quarterbacks in this wild card round, I think Lamar and Baker have the most to lose. Yeah, uh, I, I would, I would, maybe, maybe Brady. Other than, uh, I think no, Brady, Brady has five Super Bowls. Li- he nobody cares. I just, I just, I feel like just people are overcritical of his legacy right now. They act like, like again, if, if Brady loses. I don't agree with it. I know you don't agree with it, but people are like, oh my God, he's washed up. He's this, he's that. It's like, no, he's not washed up. It's just, it's going to be a lazy, another lazy argument. And another time we count him out. But uh, I do think, yeah, Lamar and Baker, both being the younger quarterbacks who are trying to get that franchise quarterback label. Now they have to prove it. You're playing your playoff games. They're both on the road. So now it's time to go. Well, we did it. We got through all of the games on Wild Card Weekend. Before I sign things off, do you have any other bold 
predictions about the playoffs coming, or do you have any thoughts on the end of the regular season that you want to share that we didn't get to? Um, the, the only kind of bold thing that I could think of would be the bills coming out of the AFC and, and the bills representing the AFC instead of the chiefs against most likely the Packers. I think that'll be the boldest thing to happen. But again, would I be surprised? No, not in the slightest. I wonder, I'm trying to look at this right now. If the Browns win, they would be the sixth seed. So they would probably have to end mm-hmm. up playing Kansas city immediately in the divisional rounds. And then the AFC game would be the Titans Ravens against the four or five against the bills who are at two. So yeah. it would, it would be a while before the bills got to Kansas city. So we got a couple weeks until we have to start thinking about that, but you're right. I think, mm-hmm. I think the bills are that one threat in the AFC that can challenge Kansas city. I think, the second team that I would give that edge to would probably be Tennessee. I don't know. I don't think the Ravens at the end of the day are going to outduel Kansas City. Maybe the Browns. At their best, I think the Browns can give Kansas City a fight. But I think the real threat that can actually beat Kansas City would probably be Buffalo. The Bills. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We still got a long time, and there's always one. There's always that one upset that nobody saw coming. So we will oh, see. Yeah. So Saturday, Sunday is Wild Card Weekend, and all the other teams are done. Season's over, and yep. they are on the <laughs> clock for the NFL draft. So um, another thing is that this weekend, the ninth is when's the national championship for college football? That's the ninth, right? I think it's a Monday. Is it's it, on the, is okay. Monday? It's Monday. It's on the 11th. So you got wild card weekend and then followed immediately by the national championship at on Monday, the 11th. So you get that wild card weekend and then we get to see what Justin Fields, if he can add on to his draft stock. So big weekend or long weekend in football and mm-hmm. we recover all of it. So there it is. Can't wait. There it is. So that'll just about do it for ice. The kicker for Matt Farrar. My name is Glenn DeNegris. Enjoy the wild card games. And enjoy the rest of the week. And we will see you to dissect all of it and preview the divisional rounds for the next episode.